What's up, guys? Before we hop into the show, let me tell you about my favorite game, WGT. Make sure you get in on this, the best golf game app out there. Go to freewgt.com to download this game, and you guys can play with us this week. We're playing Kiowa Island, hole number nine on the closest to the hole challenge, so make sure you go to freewgt.com, download the app, go into the closest to the hole Kiowa Island, then the ninth hole on that. And boy, this is a tough one. Haven't seen a hole in one yet. Gotta see how close you guys get. And remember, the winner gets a prize. And even if you don't win this week, you're entered in to the the grand finale, which is a big one at the end of the season. Each time you play, you're entered into that. So make sure you get in freewgt.com to play with us. We'll announce this week's winner at the end of the week, which is coming up. As you guys know, Thursdays are when we pick these winners. So get in there, freewg.com, and let's play the best, most fun app out there. All right, let's hop into the show. Welcome into the DNVR Broncos podcast. Man, Mace, that feels good. First time hosting the show since it's been DNVR. Man, it feels so good. The local roots are there. I'm Zach Stevens, joined by my man, Andrew Mason. Ryan is off today on assignment, we'll say. Mace, how you doing? I'm doing very well. I always love the term on assignment, of course. (laughs) The late, great Irv Brown used to say that, and... uh, uh, one of the good things about having a three-man show usually is that one of us can take the time to be on assignment, and it, the train is going to keep on chugging down the tracks. Exactly, and I never knew what on assignment meant when I was growing up, and I just thought, oh, it sounds cool, so I'm just going to use it mo- moving in the future. And you know what? I bet Ryan is drinking some Strava Craft coffee, no matter what his <laughs> assignment is today. And of course, our show is brought to you by Strava Craft coffee, and it is... Let me tell you about this. So many people in the office use this. Like I said, Ryan's probably drinking a little bit of it on assignment today. This helps with aches, pains. My girlfriend loves this, swears by it. She, Her knee, uh, she was having some knee problems, did some physical therapy for it, didn't really help, took some time off, didn't really help. She drank Strava Craft coffee with the CBD in there, and it helped immediately. I mean, by the end of the the day, on the first day she was drinking it, she was telling me that her knee was already feeling better, and then, of course, she's addicted to coffee too, so a two-in-one punch right there. So make sure you guys go and check out Strava Craft coffee, and if you get on this, make sure you use DNVR20, the code DNVR20, that's the new code, and you'll get 20% off, and Estrava says, drink deeply, live fully, and Mace, let's live fully. Let's live more fully than the Broncos <laughs> appear to be living right now. I don't know how fully you're living when you're 0-4, and certainly with Bradley Chubb on the shelf for the year, they're not living as fully as they want to. Nor can they for the next 12 games. Yeah, you're exactly right. But 
it kind of seems like Bradley Chubb may be living fully right now. It was awesome. First off, props to Bradley for coming out and talking to us yesterday. Mace, I've only been on the beat for a few years. You've been doing this way longer than I have. For me, that was the first time I've ever seen a player come out and talk to the media uh, in a very official setting like that after a season-ending injury. Is this pretty uncommon? It's pretty uncommon for it to happen as soon as it did, of course, within 48 hours of the injury within 24 hours of the ex- of the actual diagnosis for him to come out there it was pretty remarkable. Tip the tip the cap to Bradley Chubb. Tip the cap to uh, to Broncos PR for making sure that was facilitated. There are a lot of guys that uh, wouldn't do that. That would not want to talk about the injury until a little ways down the line. Part of it is just Bradley Chubb's general maturity, which we've seen from him since day one, since he got here to Denver back in the draft of 2018. But it was really interesting to hear him frame this much differently than I think (laughs) any of us thought he would. To get up there and talk about this actually being something that can help him. And think about that. It's one thing to see it that way when you're well down the path of rehab. When you're closer to the end than the beginning. He's sitting here. He knows what he's staring at. He knows that the next probably nine months or so are going to be arduous in rehab. And he's looking at that, that long path, a path that could have a setback at some point. We've seen it before. And he's looking at that path and saying it's a positive for him. Yeah. And that he was getting complacent before. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I, a lot of players will have you know a a general basic positive spin on this but when he said I'm happy this actually happened to me I'm I'm texting you and Ryan going I got my story ready what I don't know if he meant that but then he continued and he said because I feel like in life I was getting a little too complacent with 12 sacks as a rookie it's kind of hard to keep that same grind so I'm really happy This happened to me because it's a humbling experience and it's going to bring me back to be the same guy that was hungry to get college offers, the same guy that was hungry to go out there and prove everybody wrong. I'm glad to be back in that exact same position. Holy cow. I mean, that that, that takes a positive mindset and that's like times 100. Well, he also then said right after that that Von Miller told me that the injury would help him to that same position. And Von Miller... That's a good example of what you can do with an ACL, and that's another example of a player who, now, sir, I wouldn't say complacent. Von Miller had a much different set of issues in year three when he had that ACL tear in week 16 down at Houston. Bradley Chubb doesn't have a lot of those things. Bradley Chubb doesn't have a six-game suspension for marijuana, for example. Yep. So looking at, but looking at Von and seeing how he bounced back he played better after the injury than he did mm-hmm. before, at least immediately before in the 2013 season. It shows Bradley Chubb that you can make it all the way back. Right. No problem. And, of course, Chubb's been through this. He had yep. a high school injury, and he said it was about six to nine months to come back. Now, that being said, the fact that he had in high school and now he's having another ACL injury, that is the one dark cloud on this whole thing because when you start talking about having multiple ACL injuries well it's not in the same short succession 
but you start thinking low about Jake Butt and how tough it's been for him. Absolutely, and the exact same leg, too. And the craziest part about all this, the exact same day, September 29th, 2012, was the first time he tore it. Then September 29th, 2019 was the second time he tore it. But Mace, it's because we're so connected to Jake Butt why this is scary. And when Jake Butt tore the ACL for the second time, or I guess his first time with the Broncos, the feeling was bad luck. Right? It, it, ah, what, what about bad luck? And then when it happens again, then everyone kind of says, well, he's prone to it. He's prone to it. Now, Bradley Chubb is just one more tear away. Now, I, I really, really, really hope, touching wood, that we never have to experience that. We never have to talk about it. But you're naive if you're, if you're going to just say, ah, that it'll never happen. Well, it, it did happen. And let's say it happens in seven years from now. Well, Bradley Chubb still has a, a, a chance to have a great career in those next seven years, but he's probably hoping he's still playing in seven years. He'll only be 30 then. We're talking about Von Miller, who's still supposed to be great. He's 31 right now. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Very enthusiastically said. <laughs> yeah, um... So I hate to be the negative Nelly here. That's just yep. kind of how I feel. And I do think he'll bounce back. But uh, at the same time, because he had this ACL injury in high school as well as now with the Broncos, I expect them to be very conservative in their rehab with him. Mm-hmm. I don't expect a scenario where they're trying to push him out onto the field during OTAs, which – would begin in earnest, at least the offense versus defense phase, would begin in earnest in about seven, seven and a half months. Now, there have been players who've made it back to playing seven, seven and a half months after an ACL injury. Chris Harris Jr. was right on that timeline, Mm. for example, back in 2014. But with the past history, all I want to see Bradley Chubb doing in OTAs is working out off to the side, I want to see him eased back in in training camp. Training camp, of course, would be um, over nine months after the injury, actually close to 10 because it'll start right around August the 1st or close to it next year, assuming the Broncos don't have an extra preseason game. I don't see that happening at all. So please, please, I hope not. Take your time. I don't want, I, I want to see him ease back in in training camp nine and a half, ten months down the line. I don't want to see him in the preseason. Don't take any chances. If there's even the slightest hint of discomfort, soreness, hold him back. Yep. Yep, I completely agree. And the timeline should, like like you laid out, should lay out for him to be back. No problems at the start of the regular season. Right. But he's not like Emmanuel Sanders, who's 32, who's entering the final year of his contract. And, and the Broncos certainly didn't push Emmanuel Sanders to get on the field. But, you know, you, you may be a little m- more judicious in in getting a guy on the field if that's the case. Bradley Chubb, no, he's here for the long time, the next decade, hopefully. And so if he has to miss the first two games the next regular season, that's absolutely what you do, no question about it. And I completely agree with you, no need to rush him any bit at all and mace speaking of rushing there's uh <laughs> there's someone in this in this building that thinks there there's no rush to move on to the future john elway yesterday speaking on the radio as he does every tuesday doesn't believe this team's that far no he doesn't <laughs> and surprisingly 
Uh, let's uh, let's go back through some of the um, the quotes here because I I happened to listen to the interview live. Actually, John Elway and Bradley Chubb were talking at the same time. Zach, yep. you were in here for Chubb, and I was out in my car listening to Elway on KOA. There were a few interesting things to unpack from what John Elway said. Mm-hmm. Number one, let's talk about where he sees this team. Uh, Rick Lewis, color man on the Broncos radio network, asked. Do you feel like this is a better team coming in to face the Chargers this week than the team last year going to the Chargers? Elway said, quote, well, I think we're on the rise, unquote. <laughs> How? How? Well, it's the whole thing of, oh, we're getting closer, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. <laughs> but oh. it's, the, it's the same thing that he said last week because, what, the Broncos were 2-1 and one after three games last year? Yes. And I think John, last week on the radio, said he feels better about the 0-3 Broncos team this year than he did about the 2-1 and Broncos team last year. Okay, that's just something you say, <laughs> I think, to make yourself feel good. I, I can't imagine anyone really feeling better about 0-3 than 2-1. and No, you can't. And I think, he pro- I think even 2-1 last year, there were some close wins, but you still felt like, okay, he can come home against Kansas City, a team that you know. Patrick Mahomes was having a dazzling month, but you're like, oh, well, he hasn't faced this Broncos defense yet. Remember, <laughs> yeah. I, I seem to recall everybody going into week four, even though they lost to Baltimore, feeling pretty good about where the team stood and its chances to contend over the course of the year. Yep. So, anyway, I, I'm not sure how much I, I buy into that. Now, he, he opened by saying we're on the rise, and he said, look, defensively, we've got to play better. Offensively, we've continued to make strides. I think we've gotten better each week. That is true. Now, there are some things that they can do in terms of using players, get the ball to Philip Lindsay a little more. Why not try Philip Lindsay in the slot from time to time? Be a little bit more creative with Phil mm-hmm. to get him the ball and get him the ball in situations where maybe he's not as likely to accumulate a hit up the gut. Yep. If you're blasting him up the middle. Maybe he's not in as much traffic. Maybe you can save some wear and tear. Give him chances where he can get the ball in space and then get out of bounds and go on to the next play. Do the old Barry Sanders thing. The Russell Wilson thing now. Get to the sideline. Go back to the huddle. None the worse for the wear. There are ways you can do that with Philip Lindsay. I'd like to see them do that some more. But then there's another thing from John Elway that I think we need to take a look at. <laughs> Dave Logan, longtime voice of the Broncos on the radio, you could tell that he wanted to be ginger about this because he starts off by saying, I want to make sure I phrase this the right way. And then he gets into asking this, quote, when you are in the midst of what you're in right now, does it ever give you pause to say, you know what, I'm right at 60, I've got a lot of life left, there's plenty of things I want to do. Maybe it's going to come to a point where I say, I'm done with this. I'm moving on. What was interesting, Zach, and I hate to go all conspiracy theorist on you here. He didn't say no. He mm. said, you know what, Dave? It's always tough. It doesn't get any easier losing games or trying to get this figured out. They're going to put the nose to the grindstone. But he didn't say no. Hmm. And that would kind of be the first time we would ever have an indication that John's not here for the long haul of fixing this without a doubt. Because at the end of season press conference last year, I think he was asked a similar question about, or he, I think he was asked, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And he said, 
I'm not going to leave the organization in the place it's in now. I'm here to win, and I'm going to get this back on the uh, on the right track. I remember Tom Landry saying something like that when he got fired. <laughs> they didn't want to leave the Cowboys when they were down, of course. Yep. Jerry Jones bought the team and made the decision for him back in 1989 and then brought in Jimmy Johnson. Of course, one of the most famous uh, coaching changes in NFL history. But Elway has said a couple of things over the last few months. Like He's talked about how this isn't fun when you're losing. Yep. Yep. For one thing. I don't know. I, I heard that, and that was the thing that popped in my mind that, mm. you know, that he's – he said it's not easy, it doesn't get any easier. He's had the ups and downs. The final part of the quote was, now is the time to really put our nose to the grindstone, to continue to work at this and see if we can get it figured out. That's what my goal is going to be, and that's what I'm going to do. Now, I know that quote was not received well by some segments of the fan base. Talking about what, your nose wasn't always to the grindstone? I think it always <laughs> was. Although that being said, it was interesting to see him take that pharmaceutical tour last week. Yeah. <laughs> so. Owen four pushed him to, to putting his nose to the grind, not Owen three. Uh. <laughs> but what's interesting is is Mace. Let's say there's no sudden change in ownership anytime soon, and it, it stays like it is now. Do you see John Elway not being here for any reason other than him stepping away? No, I don't either. I, I don't see really any scenario in which he's fired is what it comes down to I don't see that happening under the current setup right now so that's how John would have to leave in my opinion in the next few years because I don't think anything abrupt is going to happen in ownership but that's how it have to happen is John stepping away and let me ask you this would the Broncos be better off if he did I'm not sure they would I'm going to tell you why while they've got to adjust some things in free agency for one thing, they've got to stop signing players with injury histories. Jawan James had an injury history. He's not available. Bryce Callahan had the foot injury. Who knows when he's going to play? Yep. Menelik Watson back in 2017, injury history, and he was a bust. Now, sometimes you get unlucky. Ron Leary, he's battled injuries for most of his time in Denver. That was unlucky. He didn't have an extensive injury history back when he was a Dallas Cowboy. But they've got to stop rolling the dice on guys that have health problems. Maybe. That's a that's a big thing right there. I think they figured out some things on the draft. Their hits outnumber their misses the last couple of years since they decided to emphasize more character, leadership, players who for the most part exhausted their college eligibility or already had their bachelor's degrees. I think they figured out something there. But they've got to recalibrate what they do in free agency. Now, I think they're in the process of that. And I, I don't put it past John Elway to, to figure that out because they did figure some things out on the draft side. Of course, don't forget the 2019 draft. It still remains to be seen how that's, that pans out. Dalton Reisner looks like he's going to be a keeper. Noah Fant does well. Every, everything else is kind of well up in the air. But you remember the 2018 draft was the one that you had Gary Kubiak in the building for. Mm-hmm. And Gary Kubiak now wears the purple and gold of the Minnesota Vikings. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny how John's, uh, the people, the, the way people view John has completely flipped in his tenure. Just like John focused on offense at the beginning and then flipped, completely flipped the script on defense, 
he's kind of done that as as he's looked at. He was viewed as this guy that killed free agency. I mean, no one was going to be able to compete with the Broncos. If John wanted someone, it was his. Well, I mean, Peyton you, Manning should just go through everything. And, of course, it Look who the quarterback Peyton. was. That was the thing. I mean, uh, it's easy right. to sell guys on coming here and taking below market value when Peyton Manning is your quarterback. Of course you want to go play with Peyton. The, the best story of all that is the one about Emmanuel Sanders who is literally in the Kansas City Chiefs building talking about signing with him. And the Chiefs weren't bad. They were a wild card team the year before. But then his agent gets word that, hey, Denver wants to meet with you, wants you to come in. And you know in free agency, it's a little less true now because you have the, you basically have the legal tampering period. But back in those days, it was just you, you, you go and you visit and you sign and the whole thing teams didn't want to do is let a player get out of the building. Yep. And so once Emmanuel Sanders walked out of Kansas City Chiefs headquarters, the die was cast for him to become a Denver Bronco. And I don't think he makes that decision to walk out if the call that his agent receives isn't from the Broncos that have Peyton Manning. The other thing that happens is guys took a little bit less than market rate sometimes to play with the Broncos just to play with Peyton Manning, be a part of that. And one thing that I think the Broncos struggled to adapt to in the post-Payton era was the notion that they could get discounts. You, you can't get discounts anymore. Remember with Clayus Campbell? They yep. thought they had Clayus Campbell wrapped up, signed, sealed, delivered. That was the first free agent that John missed out on. Like, right. re- really missed out. But that was the one that showed you, you're not going to get the discount anymore. And with Clayus Campbell... You didn't have the quarterback discount, but you were trying to get the hometown discount. But he opted to go to Jacksonville. And they're a mediocre team now, but Clayus Campbell was part of a team that came within a whisker of going to the Super Bowl, a blown lead in New England of going to the Super Bowl. And he's been very productive. He's been better in Jacksonville than he was in Arizona. You can't really argue against the choice that he made back in 2017. And that's kind of when it flipped for John, too. John killed free agency at the beginning and was terrible in the drafts. Everyone knows that. And then it kind of flipped the past few years. He hasn't hit on free agents. And, and yes, occasionally here and there, Kareem Jackson. But he's missed on free agents in the past. And look, the past two drafts have been great. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least early reports would show. So he's, he's completely flipped. It actually flipped in 2016. Because that was when they wanted Brock Osweiler back and they couldn't make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And you know there were things going on there. And they made decisions on who to retain. That's part of free agency as well. They chose to get something done with Derek Wolf and they let Malik Jackson go. Derek Wolf has been stout, but he hasn't been the same since Malik Jackson walked out that door. And Malik Jackson went down to Jacksonville and was productive for a while, but then he had some injuries. But still, you, pro- you look back in that and say that was uh, a miss not being able to get Malik Jackson back. And then at linebacker, went with Brandon Marshall over Dan Trevathan. Now, the thing, to go back to 2016, I don't want to sit here and, and play Monday morning quarterback, but Brandon Marshall had the footings. You remember he had the, the screw in his foot that he had, had to have removed eventually. Dan Trevathan had the knee problems back in 2014. That basically cost him all but one game of that entire year, I believe. And that was fresh in everybody's mind when they were making that decision in 2016. You had two players that had some injuries 
They thought Brandon Marshall would hold up and be healthier. The fact that he had a restricted free agent designation meant that they were able to buy some time because they actually gave him the RFA tender and then signed him in June of that year to the longer-term deal. And then injuries started accumulating for Brandon Marshall. But these are misses. And then at quarterback, when Brock Osweiler couldn't get done, I think we can all argue, we can all accept that Mark Sanchez as the veteran option in the room at the time mm-hmm. was a really poor decision. And actually, we're gonna uh, I know we're gonna get into that later because I know there's a question regarding the guy that I've advocated that the Broncos should have signed in 2016. That was Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm. I have some numbers on that. And before we jump into that, there's just one more thing from Elway. He, just like Vic said, he said, we have the players and we have the team to win now. And that was kind of, there was an interesting comment made by Emmanuel Sanders as well when we talked to him yesterday. And this is what he said. He said, sometimes when you have a Super Bowl, you have to go through a rebuilding stage. Or so, Sorry, sometimes when you win a Super Bowl, you have to go through a rebuilding stage. You have to try to get the players back in the locker room. I tell people all the time, in 2014 and 2015, we had a lot of good players, but a lot of players left because obviously when you're winning, teams want guys that win, and they go and get bigger money. We're in that process and trying to get it right. So Emmanuel says that there's some teams have to go through a rebuilding process, and then he says we're in that process. So he, as a player, knows the Broncos are rebuilding. But he said that usually happens after the Super Bowl, which is what the Broncos should have confronted, that they had to do a little bit of retooling and rebuilding because guys were walking out the door and they weren't being replaced by by players who matched that standard. Yep. (laughs) Isn't it telling, and I think maybe a little bit alarming, that the player is the one who's got the bigger picture perspective And the GM, the one who is supposed to have the big picture perspective, is all about, well, we've got it narrowed down to one week. Trying to win this week. (laughs) Now, obviously, it's because John Elway was a former player. I think he still sometimes sees things as the player did. But it is fascinating that Emmanuel Sanders, I think, think, has a better grasp on where the Broncos really stand than John Elway does. It's very, very interesting. And when... You are mulling this over and seeing which side you're on. Do it over a Breckenridge beer. That'll help the creative juices flow. Nice. And and you'll be able to find out. And you know what? I recommend a few of them. Why not United in Orange? Why not Colorado Core? And why not Strawberry Sky? As Mace, today and yesterday really have been the, the first few doom and gloom days. Otherwise, it still feels like summer, still feels like Strawberry Sky is the perfect beer to be drinking right now. The sun's going to be back out again this weekend. You know I'm going to be hitting up some Strawberry Sky, some Colorado Core, the the champagne of beer, as as some have said. And, man, we love the good folks at Breckenridge Brewery, and we know that you guys love their beer. So make sure. I I haven't heard from from many of you recently on social media. Make sure you're reaching out to us every time you sip one of these. Uh, I know they're trying to get Strawberry Sky further across the country, but I, I, you guys have been reaching out with some vanilla porters out there, all of the good beers. So make sure that when you're at the liquor store, you are going Strawberry Sky, Colorado Core, or just anything 
with the good folks down at Breckenridge Beer. And you know what, Mace? If you still need something to help you process all of this, why don't you check out the Green Solution, which has 17 Colorado locations and an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. Get on your phone right now. Go to their website, mygreensolution.com. Order your flour, concentrates, edibles, and topicals online and head to the closest Green Solution for pickup. Use the code DNVR20, new code, new code alert, DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. So make sure you use that code for Strava and for the green solution, DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. All right, Mace, we threw out a question so we could hear from you guys as if we don't hear from you guys enough, but we just love you all so much. And the question of the week this week, which is, of course, presented by Sports Column. Make sure, I know Rocky season's over, but there's still a lot of good things going down in Lodo. Make sure you check out Sports Column uh, for your lunch eats, your dinner eats, your sports happenings, and also just a great place to go out downtown. Make sure you check out Sports Column. And our question of the week, which is presented by them, was, is this Broncos team as bad as it seems? A question that a lot of people have been mulling, I think, since week one. After they lost to the Raiders, was it a fluke? And then week two, oh no, oh and two. Haven't have done this like four times in the past 50 years or whatever it was. Oh and three, oh shoot, we're bad. And now oh and four, one lots away from the worst start in franchise history. People uh. are still making the argument that the Broncos aren't that bad. What do you think, Mace? Or should, should we read some of the questions? I think we'll read some of the answers and then... You and I will offer our take. Let's start with uh, Leanne Harrington says, quote, Not as bad as 0-4, bit badly missing depth, and a big nose tackle, defensive tackle type. So really just a few positions away. Yeah, then that's the thing. When you're, when you're multiple players away, like right. the Broncos appear to be, yep. it, it, it means you're probably a bad team. <laughs> let's just let's – just take that as it is right now exactly next one coming in from mike uh at xyrn says no circumstances and uneven play but not as bad as record would indicate i think that's what john would say too yeah the numbers actually indicate this team should be somewhere around two and two if they're lucky one and three the numbers don't indicate this is a good team no no certainly not certainly not but not a terrible team. right from the real don at kicking it don nope (laughs) <laughs> nephew says hopefully we can turn it around like the 15 chiefs the depth chart is terrible and there are a lot of former broncos that are available and can help out brandon marshall tj ward domata Pecco, even Kayvon webster those are all positions that we need too and here's what i'll say to you nephew if if you're reaching out to all of those guys and bringing them all back or bringing three of those four guys back it shows you you're not very good <laughs> <laughs> that's true from at bad 188 no but we forgot how to win in Denver, and that is scary. Yes, this team currently has its longest regular season home winning streak since the 93-94 seasons, by the way, included a loss to my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ooh, wow. Next one from Kadri Kandunk says, yes, 0-16 coming. Oh, wow. Okay, <laughs> this team is not going 0-16, okay? <laughs> it's not. No. The, what's going to happen, I expect— is that once it gets the first win, it will probably settle in as kind of a garden variety bad team. Right. Not a team that goes two and fourteen, one and fifteen, 
but a team that picks off a, an upset here and there. You play young guys, they improve, they they have a surprising result, but they also have a few games where they get the doors blown off of them. That's the thing. I, I don't think this team is bottomed out. I think there is a blowout loss coming Yep. at some point. I, I agree with you, and here's the thing. Typically, in an NFL season, you're going to win two games that you're not supposed to. You're going to mm-hmm. lose two games that you're not supposed to for an average team. If you're a good team, maybe you only lose one game that you're not supposed to. If you're a bad team, maybe you only win game one game you're not supposed to, and you lose three or four that you should. And that's the thing with Broncos is maybe they're supposed to win two or three more games that are on the schedule, but they're probably going to squeeze out one or two more that you don't expect. Well, in my last mailbag, um, I said they would win six more games. Of course, one of them was Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I'm downgrading that to about four or five mm-hmm. wins. So mm-hmm. anyway, let's move on from... Is it yours Is it yours or mine? From Joe H. He says, right now it seems like we will never win, but we will win a few. So no, this defense has me worried though. Mile High Magic, unfortunately, no. Horrible ref calls, 82 wins for the opposition, but they aren't good or deep enough to make mistakes. So really, they probably should be a 7-9 and nine team head in the right direction, but are looking like a two-win team if they continue to get cheated. Look, I get the frustration over the bad calls, <laughs> but one of the symptoms of a substandard team is that they can't overcome the bad calls because they don't have the material, they don't have the talent level, they don't have the the elan, what it takes to win. And that's where this Broncos team stands. You got young guys that really don't know how to win right. in the NFL at yep. this point. Yep. Kenneth says, I don't think so. If I think if we had an all-around leader to get this team fired up, maybe just a couple of their losses would be wins. Interesting. Well, I did uh, point out in my story on Tuesday night that I put up at the DNVR.com that this team since 2007 has not had a winning season without either Peyton Manning or DeMarcus Ware on the roster. Mm. And those were probably the two best leaders to pass through this locker room over the course of the last dozen years. I'd say Brian Dawkins is probably right behind that. The, the two of them, but that's just something to think about. Yep. You lost a lot of talent. I mean, you lost Hall of Fame caliber players, but you lost Hall of Fame caliber leaders as well. That's tough to replace. This one from Magnus, you're only as good as your record, so how can you say no? Question is if they have the mentality to turn it around. Mm. Ryan Brothers says, yes, they are. I'm ready for Drew Locke to come back and start. Aren't we all, Ryan? Yes, you're ready for October. I mean, it's October on the calendar. Yep, it is. Yeah, Game time darts. Eric says, no. Keep it simple, Eric. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> Phil says, probably not. Two missed field goals, and we're 2-2 two and two and right back in the playoff hunt. All right, John, I know that's you. Yeah, Seth Moldenhauer, be real. Does it matter at this point? I'll keep watching and cheering, but it's av season until lock starts. <laughs> uh, here's a question. Uh, who gets... To four wins first. <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, I'm going with the abs. <laughs> here's the thing. Who gets to four wins first, the Broncos or the Nuggets? Ooh. <laughs> Their season doesn't start for what, another four weeks, three here's weeks? A, here's a question. Will I be able to watch four abs games this month on TV? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Yeah, uh, I went there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with no. 
what? We're 36 hours away, right? Yeah, this I don't think it's going to be resolved in time for the start of AFC season. I do think the altitude impasse gets resolved before the start of Nuggets season, though. Oh, that'd be good. Lou and Eric, both keep it simple. Say no. David Freeze says, it just seems like there's not a lot of fight in this team the last couple of years. does feel like that. The kicking and screaming seems like ages ago. Yeah. I'm trying to think and see. The problem with this, by the way, we don't see the questions in the same order. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And so, I, think, I think there, I think we got most of them. And so, Mace, I know we've kind of interjected, but what do you think? Is this team as bad as their record suggests? Well, 0-4 would suggest you're on pace for 0-16. 0-4 would suggest that you're one of the that you're the worst team in the league, even though there are other winless teams. So I don't think they're as bad as the record suggests, but I don't think they're a good team. I think this again, I think what happens here is over the course of the twelve games that follow, I think they settle in as, like I said, a garden variety bad team. I mean, I think right now, because people haven't experienced 0-4 in 20 years, the sky is falling in a way that a lot of people can't recall. And you're going to the extremes, but you just take a look at the other winless teams. Okay. Are they as bad as the Dolphins? No. No. No, not at all. Are they as bad as the Bengals? No. Nope. Mm, I don't know. Who would you rather have a quarterback? After Monday night, I don't think so. Yeah, that. W- but, uh, you know, if the Bengals get A.J. Green back in there. Right. Just lost John Ross. Yeah, and that's a pro- that's basically going to be a wash. John Ross was playing well. Yep. Um, Washington is an interesting comparison because that's an organization that has a lot of chaos to it. And, of course, it uh, doesn't appear Dwayne Haskins was ready for prime time when he went in at quarterback against the Giants last Sunday. But at the same time, it is a roster that's got some talent. Yep. Got some got some good skill players. Yep. Got some pass rushers. Um, I actually think a Denver-Washington game, if they played head-to-head, would be pretty even, pretty tight. Last time they played it, uh, favorite the Redskins. <laughs> well, I mean, that was a couple of years ago. It was. And, but that, by the way was one of the worst atmospheres I've ever seen for an NFL game. Oh, I can't even Christmas imagine. Eve, yep. two teams out of it, <laughs> scores of no-shows <laughs> in the stands, Brock Osweiler quarterback. <laughs> oh, joy. Kirk Cousins on the other side. Yeah. The a whole... lot of people thought uh, he was auditioning for John Elway. Yes. Or maybe a John Elway was auditioning for him. Well, the funny thing about that that week, I remember – in our coverage leading up to it on the radio side, we talked more about Kirk Cousins than we talked about the yep. Broncos. The yep. Broncos were really irrelevant at that point. Yep. What was happening with that team? It was all about, oh, it's a look at Kirk Cousins. Yep. And by the way, sometimes the best moves are the ones you don't make. <laughs> it looks like Kirk Cousins not coming to Denver is a good move that the Broncos did not make. Yeah, when the, when uh, his wide receivers are saying you need to throw the ball to win and they're yelling at him on the sideline, that's probably not a very good look. But Mace, here's how I'll answer the question. I'd look at point differential, and point differential would suggest that the Broncos aren't as bad as their 0-4 record, but it wouldn't also paint the rosiest picture. It wouldn't even say that they're 2-2. Two and two. It would say they're about a 1-3 and three team. When you look at point differential, the Broncos have the best point differential of any winless team. And it's 
pretty pretty significant. Yeah, the Broncos are at negative twenty three points on the season. They're the best bad team. They're the best bad team. Just Whoopity like a, doo. <laughs> just like a lot of people have been saying. And like I said, it's probably the, a bad thing. But the Jets are also winless. They're they're at minus thirty seven. Uh, then the Cardinals are at minus forty one. Then the Redskins are at minus fifty two. Bengals minus fifty three. So Broncos like two times better than those teams. And then you have the Dolphins at minus 137. Oh. They're historically bad. <laughs> yes. They they look like they're headed into 1976 Tampa Bay yeah. bad. Yeah. Which they're- is an even lower level of suck than the 08 Lions and the 17 Browns achieved going winless in their respective campaigns. Yep, it, exactly. And so the Broncos are surrounded by... They're actually better than the one in three Falcons, who are minus twenty nine. They're tied with the two and two Raiders, and then the Steelers, who are one and three, are minus twelve. So kind of right in that one and three range. And this would tell you that the Raiders actually aren't a two and two team. If you want to do it like this, they're they're really a one and three team. And unfortunately, if they were one and three, that only win would be against the Broncos. So I come back to yes, the Broncos are better than their zero and four record, but. You are what your record is, and so I'm not going to give them excuses. I'm not going to sit here and say they're only, you know, a couple plays away. They're only two drive, two defensive stops away from being two and two, and they're right back in it for this season. No, they're zero and four, and Mace only one team has come back from that. Well, I think you just gave me an idea of, of a story that I'm going to do either today or tomorrow. It's take a look at all these zero and four teams over the years and figure out what the uh, worst point differential was, and the best ones, and see how it translates. Mm, I like that. That's actually something I think that is worth looking at. Yeah. Um, to see, okay, how did these teams turn out? Yeah. And the teams that are like the Broncos that were close, what happened? Because I keep – it's only one example, but I keep flashing back in my mind to the 1991 Bucks, who lost four games by seven points or fewer to start the year. Three of them were to playoff teams, including Buffalo, which won the AFC that year. Literally, that game went down to the last play. So it was a team that just had a string of heartbreaking defeats. Then they go to Detroit in Week 5, and the bottom just falls out, and they lose 31-3. And it was after that they got lucky in Week 6, stole a win over Philly, which went 10-6 and that year. And again, they kind of leveled off as a typical bad team that had some close losses, some games they got their ass kicked, but also were capable of pulling off an upset like they did in the rematch with Detroit. And by the way, that Detroit team went 12-4, and went all the way to the NFC Championship game, their best season in the last 60 years. And a 3-13 and Bucks team manhandled them in a game in November. And that's sort of what happens. That's a... That seems like a very typical arc for a team that kind of lumbers home after a bad start. But I want to go back and and break this down a little more because there are other examples of teams that lost a bunch of close games at the start of the year. I know Miami in in 2007 was actually a team that lost some close games at the start, and then that thing fell apart. Mm -hmm. They went 1-15. What happened was that Trent Green got hurt, their quarterback, and then they're going with Cleo Lemon and John Beck the rest of the way. Joe Flacco got hurt. You'd be in some trouble well, right now. Yeah, but have you already start, had that key injury with Bradley Chubb? Yep, you have. Because you could argue you've lost your 
top defender. Yep, exactly. So we loved hearing from you guys, loved hearing all the responses, and let's hear from you guys in a different fashion right now, and that's jumping into the comment section. First one coming in from Timmy from Sweden. He says, hi, DNVR family. Still have some spots left for the now DNVR Madden League for Xbox One. We'll start the league next Monday, so hurry if you want to be a part of it. Email Timmy at timmyfromsweden at gmail.com. That's T-I-M-M-Y from Sweden at gmail.com. Thanks, Timmy, for getting that set up. That's going to be a blast. It's going to be awesome. From Brian Boz, I, for one, am one of the guys who supported John Elway. We wouldn't have a Super Bowl without him, and he's had two great back-to-back drafts. However, I have an eerie feeling John's going to keep Drew on IR all year because he's scared to not hit on a quarterback once again. (laughs) You know what? My cluster headaches have largely gone away. Uh, 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 Since I moved from the Broncos side of it to working for the <laughs> DMVR.com, I think you just caused one I to pop so. up in me. So <laughs> I think so. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> Instead of seeing what we have in him, he's going to think he's not ready yet. And with the third pick in the draft, possible trade back, we select Isaiah Simmons, linebacker out of Clemson, or Worfs or Thomas, the tackles out of Iowa and Georgia. Instead of drafting one of the top quarterbacks this year, like he should, he'll find out next year Drew isn't the guy, setting our rebuild back another two years. I, for one, believe Drew has what it takes, but you need to find that out this year. Oh, and by the way, John did extend Flacco into next year, too. So by John's thought process, we have two serviceable quarterbacks on the roster. Please, for the love of God, let October (laughs) begin, or I will have no hope for this team until they sell the ownership dispute. First of all, because you can carry forward cap space yeah the accounting on drew lock really it's unchanged in effect because on joe flacco on joe flacco sorry the accounting there is unchanged so you're going to you know if, if you don't use that money this year you can basically get out of the contract the same way in 2020 it, it, it has no impact on that so that's it's just one of those things that some people are going to go oh dead money can't let him go dead money but the accounting overall is the same because of the cap carryover that you're allowed to have. So Mason, I wouldn't worry too much on that. Instead of taking some Advil for that that headache that Brian Boz just gave you, maybe this will be the relief you need. John said he's not afraid to to keep swinging and missing with quarterbacks. So if they keep Drew on IR, it wouldn't be because he's afraid to see if he's a bust or not. There is just a little part of me that still thinks maybe they are going to IR Drew. It would be the worst move they could make as we've said time and time again they, then when, they can't what are you that? getting out of this year exactly and, and the, the year is a complete failure if you don't get drew lock out there yep. for some starts and start yep. learning what he has because the playoffs let's face it they're they've sailed away you're at a 0.83 percent chance and you're arguably your best defensive players on the shelf for the year it's it's bad it's 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 bad you know the other thing that kind of gives me w- gives me some worries and gives me the willies is oh we going we we doing this yes <laughs> let's try again with the manning <laughs> let's go get eli <laughs> that stuck with you yesterday oh no <laughs> i'm thinking of uh arch manning though how about that what's that the 20 27 draft i yeah, believe is the arch manning draft why don't you just go into rebuild until then did Stock you see what position. did you see what archie manning said yep <laughs> yeah, he's ahead Had, of where, where any of them were. Where Peyton and Eli were. Yep. Oh, <laughs> oh my. I so mean, where does Arch Manning end up going to school? Here's a, yep. here's a thought. Yep. Does David Cutcliffe stay at Duke long enough to be able to get Arch Manning 
and have him play at Duke. He can't but do that. Arch Manning couldn't do that. Why not? At Duke? It's, that's where their quarterback whisperer is. Mm. David Cutcliffe is in Durham, North Carolina. David Cutcliffe is probably not moving from Duke. He's there until he retires. Would Duke be a national title contender then? I'm not, maybe not national title. I mean, you got Clemson. I don't think they're getting past Clemson, but they're an ACC contender, sure. Oof, man, I mean, that, did that'd you be see something else. Did you, did you see what they did at Virginia Tech last week? Now, Virginia Tech is terrible. You talk about it's the two trains that are going in the opposite direction, and they passed in Blacksburg, Virginia, last Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. How about this? Because I, I was thinking he's obviously got the old misconnection, a lot, lot of pressure to go there, or a, a lot of reason to go there. He could go to Tennessee, follow Peyton. Why not just – Say F it to both of those and go to Alabama. Just I'll, join Nick Saban. I'll, I'll give you something better, okay? <laughs> Uncle Peyton lives in Colorado. Mm. What about Arch Manning being a CU buff? <laughs> you know, you get to Man. go. You get to go to CU. Mel Tucker has a lot of NFL experience, so yep. you probably do some pro style things. It's not just the NFL experience. He's got the Wisconsin in his background as well. You have. So you have a structure where you can do NFL things in a program. I'm sure that's the direction Mel Tucker's probably going to go long-term as he develops. See you up there. I'm a big Mel Tucker fan, by the way, just so you know. Um, Don't tell Ryan. <laughs> I was thrilled when they hired Mel Tucker. I, I, can't, I can't put into words the fact that he's been around Wisconsin, that he's been in the NFL, that he has the connections to Nick Saban, and by extension, Bill Belichick. You talk about somebody that has been drinking from a lot of very healthy pools yep, yep. in terms of football thought. How about this? So so Arch goes to CU, let's oh say. Oh, my God. And Wouldn't that be awesome? Then let's say he's the number one overall pick, but uh, Uncle Peyton is the general manager here in Denver. And, of course, he wants to play for his uncle. So he, he tells every team ahead of the Broncos, wherever the Broncos <laughs> are drafting, I'm not signing with you. I'm only going to play for the Broncos. <laughs> Why do I think this segment of the pod is actually going to get the most reaction in the comments? I hope so. And but... I think maybe this is the one that uh, we probably want to put in the clip today. Yep, ex- exactly. Because <laughs> want to make people feel good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just look, look, we are building this team to be good in 2029. You just got to hang in there for another <laughs> Eight years, nine years or so. But then it'll be fun. We'll, we'll, have, oh, we'll have the Mannings. We'll man. have the Mannings. And spe- I mean, not speaking of world, it suck, world of suck at all. World of Suck chimes in and says, just for a little fun exercise that I think exposes the Broncos' biggest weaknesses, can you guys go through the roster and name every Bronco draftee that is currently in their prime? Ooh, okay. Draftee. Connor McGovern. Okay, yep. That's true. Uh, we'll start on the offensive line. I'm not going to say Garrett Bowles in his prime. He's had a couple of promising games. As I was telling somebody yesterday, the test is over the course of the rest of the season. I want to see if his holding rate normalizes. Yep. If he has six holding penalties over the next 12 games, you know what? That's his rate from the first couple of years, roughly one hold every two games, and that's not acceptable. Uh, Philip Lindsay's in his prime. Yep. Horace Freeman's in his prime, although Philip Lindsay isn't a draft pick. Right. Nope. Uh, Noah Fant is ascending. Is Cortland Sutton in his prime? I think he's still ascending. He's ascending. Yep. The question now for Cortland Sutton is, can he become a wide receiver? One. Emmanuel Sanders, I think, has had an extended prime. Not a draft pick. Not a draft pick, though. That's true. Yeah, damn. So I think we're done with the offense. Andy Janovich? Yeah, 
is probably well. He's I mean he's only played in one game, so that's hard to say that he's in his prime. And actually, fullbacks tend to really be in their prime year six, year seven, year eight. Okay, I'll take your um, word on it. Jeff Hyerman, I think he feels feels like he's on the decline. It's like he's almost invisible right now. Okay, defensive side, uh, Derek Wolf decline. Past. Adam Gotz is this is probably as good as you're getting from him. It's his prime. It's just not an exciting. Prime. Right. Todd Davis. Not a draft pick. Josie Jewell. Right. Uh, I hope he's ascending. Yeah. yeah, you hope so just in year two. I- I'm worried about him in coverage, though. And I, th- I think with Josie Jewell, he can work if you've got someone uber talented next to him at inside linebacker. Unfortunately, Todd Davis isn't that Roquan Smith, yep. Navarro Bowman, Patrick Willis, Sam Mills, Vaughn Johnson type of linebacker that Vic Fangio has maximized over the years. So it exposes Josie Jewell a little bit. The next, I think the final two, Justin Simmons and Will Parks. Are they in their prime? I think there's another level both of them can get to. I think so too. I think they're both still ascending. Yeah. Especially for Justin after he took a little bit of a step back. Let's see how Will bounces back because that was a really rough game from missed tackles on Sunday against the Jaguars. Broncos squared. Hey, gents, that... GD Field Day. <laughs> Just kidding. The Field Day seemed like a good team-building thing. I'm saving my promo code from Broncos Camp for the Vic in the Box shirt that, if that actually becomes a thing. How much power do you think Vic will have during the draft process? Thanks for being the entertaining part of the shabby season. Yeah, the Field Day. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, the Field Day. Good I, idea I thought some, I, I thought this team wasn't good enough to be taking a Field Day. Mm. That's just my opinion. I'm kind of old school. You think they lost one of these games? Because of it, what if that what if that was their day to go over you know fourth quarter drives, two minute drives on defense? <laughs> well, no, because they if if they were planning, and I think Vic Fangio and his staff have been planning that for a while, so I think they adjust, they adjusted accordingly on all the other days. So I don't think they lost. I think it was just the optics of it. Yeah, I mean bad optics. Six and ten, five and eleven, back back seasons. I think it actually would have looked a little bit better instead of a field day if they just acted like they were going to have a normal practice and then kind of scaled it back, did right. a walkthrough, kind of like you know what they did the last the previous couple of years. How much power will Vic have during the draft process? Um, I think he already has some impact on the draft process. Quite frankly, I think he'll have a, a pretty good pull. That being said. What you're looking for are guys on the Venn diagram that uh, cross over, that the scouts like and the coaches like, and you're trying to narrow your focus to those guys. It was interesting. I'll say this. Vic Fangio had some power in the draft process, for one thing, because there weren't a lot of inside linebackers he said he liked, and he actually said that the inside linebackers last year didn't match up to Roquan Smith the year before in Chicago. Yep. So you wonder if that was an impact in them being amenable to accepting the trade from the Steelers. That sent Devin Bush basically to Pittsburgh and brought Noah Fant and Drew Locke back and a third-round pick back to Denver in the end. You can tell that John really trusts and values Vic's opinions. So Vic, I don't think, is going to touch the offensive side of the ball. I think he's going to have a big influence on whoever they draft on the defensive side And I would say this, depending on what they do in free agency, I think next year might be a defensive-heavy draft for this team because they've gone offense-heavy in recent years. And uh, if the offense continues to show some progress – they may kind of stand pat on that side of the of the ball unless they're picking high and 
decide to go quarterback if they found out that Drew Locke isn't the guy. Oh, next one's from the count. That's bet, you. That's me. <laughs> Dear Broncos mourners, in lieu of flowers, please send lots of draft picks and a copy of Zach Mace and Ryan's new album, Knock on Wood, <laughs> which includes, and by the way, which, W-I-T-C-H. I like that oh, count. Well done. Includes such rousing hits as Mousetrap Corner and the epic power ballad where Mace nails a falsetto entitled in the box <laughs> love the count <laughs> you nailed it you nailed it just like you said next one coming in from bronco born bronco bread it says correct me if i'm wrong but i believe drew lock is eligible to, el- eligible to play after the colts game he is as i'm typing this out we have 26 days six hours 53 minutes and 22 seconds until it's lock season might have to start a countdown on my phone by the way the best quarterback in the next draft is jalen hurts the man is a natural-born leader, evident by becoming the unquestioned leader at two different massive college programs. He has a huge hunger for success that is insane. OU has blown out every opponent this year and still goes to the gym to get better immediately after the game. We'll love to see Jalen on the Broncos because he would be perfect for the young core that y'all have been saying needs a leader to emerge. Mace, Jalen Hurts. I like Jalen Hurts a lot. As a and pro prospect? Yes. More now than ever because of what he's doing in that offense. And we've talked about how much Lincoln Riley throws on his quarterbacks in terms of pre-snap reads, in terms of knowing everybody's role. It's not a simple thing to be a Lincoln Riley quarterback. It's a complicated endeavor. And Jalen Hurts has stepped in and handled it flawlessly. But the thing with Hurts that also jumps out, the character. He could have caused a lot of problems at Alabama in 2018 with Tua Tagovailoa pushing him off to the side, and he didn't do it. He was a great locker room presence. He supported Tua. He supported his teammates. That says a lot about the type of person and leader Jalen Hurts is. I think he's a better quarterback and a better presence in the locker room because of what he went through last year at Alabama. Now, the thing is, Clearly, he's shown what he can do in that scheme. And if Lincoln Riley does say, this is the moment I'm going to the NFL, I think he'd want to be in a position where Jalen Hurts could be his quarterback. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Jalen Hurts has every intangible. Checks all the character boxes. We talk about the the template of the Broncos drafts the last last couple years. Jalen Hurts fits this perfectly. Yep, he fits it perfectly. And also, yeah, he's not 6'5", 240. Look at the— He's 6'2". Yeah, exactly. He he hits the baseline. He's got better size than the past two number one overall picks, than the past two Heisman winners that came from this exact same system. Jalen Hurts is a guy that is going to be flying up draft boards, probably starting pretty soon until draft day. He's going to fly up there. He— He's one of those guys you just watch him and you feel good. Yep. Yep. In knowing, every way. Knowing, knowing his story and incredibly and everything he's been po- Such and, a and positive person. Yep. I, he, I think whatever building he goes into next spring, he makes it better just by walking in. Yep. I completely agree. Oklahoma Bronco. Okay. I've got a bit of a bone to pick with something Mace keeps bringing up. <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick is not the savior that would have come in and made us a 12-4 and or playoff caliber team. He had one outlier year with the Jets that got him paid. He was never consistent as a pro, and while he would have been an upgrade from Trevor, he was not going to automatically solve our woes offensively. I know Mace will probably whip out some stat, prove me wrong, but I don't believe he's ever more than a bottom 25 quarterback. No, he's better than bottom 25 if you're measuring backups. 
again, outside of that year with the Jets, what has he done? Not to mention that the that was the AFC East that was hot garbage during that time and still is. Anyway, rant over, unrelated to this. I definitely love the idea on the countdown of the countdown on the app to lock being available. Keep up the good work, <laughs> fellas. Well, here's what's interesting. I took five years of Broncos quarterbacks, 2014 to 18, which included two years of Peyton Manning. And the first year of that, yeah. Peyton Manning was still at a high level. That was 2014. Yep. yep. MVP and, and then I took half. five years of fits, which included some ups and downs. What do you think had a higher passer rating? Even with a bad season in Fitz. 2016 with the Jets, yes. Wow. A6.6 for Fitz, A3.3 for Broncos quarterbacks, including Peyton. And then if you take the if you take the 2014 Peyton out of the mix and you just go with a, a, the performance from 2015 to 18 when Peyton had clearly kind of hit the end of his rope and um Brock Osweiler was playing and all that. Let's just see oh, here. No, don't do this to us, Mace. What? You want me to <laughs> You want me to stop torturing you? Okay. Anyway, for one thing, your touchdown interception ratio is a less than robust sixty eight to fifty four. Oh. From twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen <laughs> if you go by what all the Broncos quarterbacks did so yep. there's a site i go to it's called primecomputing.com and it's got it quarter it, I, I could do it on excel as well but this is a quick and easy thing you can court you can calculate quarterback rating or passer rating i should say because espn is qbr for the nfl college football or even the arena league actually that's where i found out about this literally this has been around for over 20 years and it, yeah the arena football league has a different formula if you can believe that <laughs> anyway so Bronco quarterbacks 2015 to 2018 had 1209 completions, 2006 attempts, 13,475 yards, 68 touchdowns, 54 picks. Congratulations, that's an 80.4 rating. Oh, You're telling me boy. Ryan Fitzpatrick couldn't have been better than that? Yeah, he could have. He, he With the been, he team around him. And I think it would have, yeah, there would have been some things that made you tear your hair out. But what I'm saying is in 2016, the defense was still at such a high level, but a lot of the things broke down because Trevor Simeon, they just didn't believe in him. Yep. He didn't have that presence the team needed. That's why I will maintain that for that year, the Broncos go 12-4 and four Fitzpatrick. I don't think they do very well the following two years, but it would have given you one more year of that window than you ended up getting. Yep, exactly. Next one coming in from Iceman. Says, hey boys, it's 4:09 a.m. and I'm a few non-iced brews in, non-iced for the ice man. Interesting, Zach. Mr. B would disagree on any losing ever. Just saying. RK Locktober BD before death and AD after death. The count will love it. Thanks, Mace, for your reading of my grades. All the tank, all the talk now about is a rebuild. History lesson. Let's roll back a whole decade to 2009. Josh traded away the Broncos' 11th pick for the first of Denver's Joe Flacco's Kyle Lorton. He could not even beat out Rex Grossman in Chicago. Of course, McIdiot wanted Matthew Castle, but he decided to choose the division rival Chiefs instead. Then Josh started his rebuild. Round 1, 2009. Nojan Moreno, Robert Ayers. Round 1 in 2010, Demarius Thomas, Tim Tebow. Uh, 2011, took Von Miller, or Denver took Von Miller with the 
took pick Von number Miller, two. Pick number two, in part thanks to the McDaniels area. What might have been if Josh had not been fired after 12 games in the second season? We will never know. All you folks that want Elway gone, beware of what you wish for on another total rebuild. Go Broncos, go DNBR. If Josh McDaniels is not fired, Tim or uh, Peyton Manning's never a Bronco. Without a doubt. With, okay. with, without a doubt. And don't forget, you had the videotaping scandal, the illicit recording of the 49ers practice at Wembley Stadium back in week eight of the 2010 season that McDaniels had you know, tacitly approved. You couldn't hang on to him. No. I mean, you actually, I mean, it was basically a football, how everything went down. It was kind of a football version of a, a whistleblower type deal. Yep. Exactly. That's something that Pat was not okay with, was never going to be okay with. And before we move on, let me tell you that is something that is okay to be okay with. And that's Green Mountain Dental. And as you guys may or may not know, taking care of your teeth, pretty darn important. Our friends at Green Mountain Dental are giving away a free Sonicare when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. All you have to do is take care of your teeth for them to take care of your teeth. So make sure you check them out online at Green Mountain Dental or call them 303-988-0711. That's 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today and pick up a free Sonicare. That's Green Mountain Dental. Rolling right on with the questions. Nashville Joey. Hey guys, absolutely love the podcast and stoked to be a new member. Love my Broncos since I was five Years old through all the Elway years where my old school Broncos tattoo with pride and finally made my dream come true and went to two days of training camp this summer. I was so optimistic. And then the season started. <laughs> Ugh. Ready to see what Locke can do and already counting down the days until the draft. Until then, whiskey will help me get through this season. And if you guys ever want to come to a country show in Denver, we can drown our sorrows together. Until then, keep up the good work. And for the love of God, please ban anyone who says we blew it, letting Shaq go. <laughs> and that Nashville, Joey, I'm sure there's a country song coming out about this Broncos season or something along those lines. Next one coming in from Mile High Salute. He says, hey, guys, haven't commented in a while. Welcome, Mace. Sorry about the long post. One, I'm going to the game in Minnesota. Can't wait to see the team live, even in a world of suck. Two, here's some insight into Chubb playing on the ACL. I tore my ACL in college, and it was explained to me that if it happens in a non-dramatic way and your legs are strong enough, you can continue to play on it. As for why the medical staff let him play, I can only speculate, but as a former athlete, I believe it would have been a mental thing. It's a long rehab, and letting him finish the game might give him a boost. They would probably told him the risks and let him choose since he is already facing surgery. And then he, he puts an article in, and what I'll say to that is, Maybe that would happen. Sometimes that's not what happened here because they didn't know it was a torn ACL until Monday. Three for Mr. B. B. Four, I was in Breckenridge for a wedding over Labor Day weekend, and I stopped at the brewery and had some damn good beer. The Strawberry Sky is very good. I was not disappointed. Five, the rebrand is excellent. I'm glad to hear all the new voices. Keep up the great work. Vilga Dan. Hola, mis tres amigos. I'm trying to find something to be positive about. And with the news on Chubb, it's tough sledding, especially since we never get snow in my tropical Ecuadorian paradise. A previous comment a couple of days ago didn't make the cutoff, so there's a little cut and paste here. But while thinking about my comment, I had a revelation. Even the haters thought with Vic at the helm, we would have an elite defense. 
Then he became the god-awful father. He has waited so long for the right opportunity to be a head coach, and now he stands bent over on the sideline, miserable, apparently looking at his shoe and wondering what he just stepped on and what that smell is. Right wow. now I'd say the smell is his team. But. <laughs> the problem is he's just not prepared, prepared to stand for a whole game. He's not going to be confused with Sean McVay on the sideline. He's used to watching the game the way we do, sitting, the answer, not standing on the sideline. Not Vic in a box. Vic needs a litter. You know, one of those things they carry African kings around on. Or like Elizabeth Taylor and Cleopatra. It will be carried on the shoulders of players inactive for the game or whoever's in Vic's doghouse. This way, he's along the sideline, but his elevated throne would allow him to survey the field from on high, hurling down commandments like from above like Moses on Mount Sinai. You could put a roof on to keep him in the shade, Maybe in the shape of that Broncos horse head like Shannon Sharp used to wear. Get some cheerleaders with some orange-tinted ostrich feather fans to gently waft soothing breezes toward him on the hot days. A foot warmer and a blankie for those cold days to come. I'm even older than Vic. I know these little things mean so much. Find the man in his comfort zone and his D will once again rule the NFL. Because honestly, he looks like he's passing another kidney stone. What do you think? Another thing, wow. Fla Flacco's nickname needs to be changed to Joe Tepid. Tepid, lukewarm, characterized by a lack of force or enthusiasm. That's what I think when I see him on the bench at his pressers, wherever. Tepid, not cool. Sorry, I got a little negative there, but I still like the litter idea. <laughs> One other thing, I'll be returning to Denver from my sunny, sunny climbs for a few days, which will include the KC Thursday night game. If you know someone with a ticket who can't bear to watch the carnage but doesn't want to sell to some red-clad Chiefs fan, I would be willing to endure said tragic event and rep your seat in orange attire. If there are no takers, please let me know where the tailgate watch party is. Adios, or as they say here, ciao. <laughs> wow, quite a comment, Phil oh Cadent. I learned something through this. I didn't know that a litter, that that's what a litter was. I had no idea. I didn't know I either. I thought like a carrying throne or something. But boy, wouldn't that be a spectacle? Then you would have to make A.J. Johnson inactive every game so that he could be a, a part of that leg. Well, you'd want to have the most impressive-looking players carrying it, right, <laughs> if you're yep. doing this. Yep. <laughs> hey, so, Bradley Chubb can be a pillar of that. Yeah, but he's got he's going to have his <laughs> knee surgery. He's going to be on crutches for a while. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know about that. One thing about the Chiefs game, on the secondary market, that actually has the highest buy-in price for any game the rest of the way. I believe I saw $144 as the buy-in for the Chiefs game. Now it gets interesting. Right now, the games down the stretch, the buy-in is anywhere from $59 to $68. That's the cheapest ticket available for games like the Raiders, the Lions, the Chargers. So not a lot of demand down the stretch. Kansas City seems like it might be the last game that has a lot of demand from Bronco fans. The buy-in is in triple figures for the Browns game. I believe it's at $109, but... That's a lot of Cleveland people, I think. That That is. Vilkadan continues and says, forgot to mention it in my previous comment, but I love the new logos for the rebrand. This time you guys nailed it. I never understood why your graphic designer left out the apostrophe between the S and N on the old logo. Apparently the proofreader missed it, which caused you to, to treat the or which caused you to treat the letters equally instead of putting the emphasis on the S. For what you do, BS in. 
equals the truth in advertising. <laughs> I would love to see a black shirt with the flag logo across the chest and the DNVR square on the back. Thanks in advance. Ciao. And just, just keep waiting for some shirts. Yeah, there's more swag coming. <laughs> love Thunder Down Under. It's like my great uncle Vic always said, if you're in the midst of penetrating deep into the backfield with a chub and he starts cramping, take a moment in a room to the side, give the chub a rub, and work out those cramps. <laughs> Stop it. Oh All I'd God. say is don't trust great Uncle Vic ever. He is not only a terrible physician, he's also incarcerated <laughs> for substance abuse. <laughs> Aged old word of wisdom aside, I'm on the silent rebuild train. Look at the offense. That is two years further down the road of a rebuild. Defense now needs to go under the blowtorch, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It makes sense to me to keep players a secondary in the secondary in place as it is, so long as you don't stump up big cash for Chris Harris Jr. But restart on the interior. If we get a top five pick, either take a world-changing defensive tackle prospect, who, or trade back to a team at 10 to 15, just outside of top of QB range, and pick up a quality middle linebacker offensive lineman. Which teams have multiple firsts for 2020? Who is the top monster DT pick? Are there looking like any decent middle linebacker candidates to get from picks 15 to 32 in Mace? If we had an option to draft a center from any college, who would it be from where? On an entirely separate note, here is $5. I'll answer that question about the center, Tyler Biotis, University of Wisconsin. I was going to say, it's Wisconsin, guys. That's the easy <laughs> answer, I think. With all respect to the tackles in this draft, I think Biotis is the most sure thing, plug-and-play as they would say in an infomercial way back, set it and forget it for 15 years. He could be your center if he stays healthy. I love the idea of Biotish flanked by Reisner on one side, re-sign Connor McGovern as your right guard on the other side. I think then you'd have an interior that in a year or so would be among the best in football. World-changing defensive tackles. Well, look, the question is, is there an Aaron Donald? Is there an Dominican Sue? In this draft, I've got to study them more, quite frankly. So I'm not down the road yet. One thing I will tell you about the middle linebackers and inside linebackers, um, the depth appears to be on day two, rounds two and three. Quality, maybe not quite there in the first round, but you get into rounds two and three, I think the value and quality is going to be there relative to the picks. And I think if the Broncos are smart, that's the area they need to look for inside linebackers round two round three and all i'll say to that comment is good luck getting chris harris jr on the cheap i think i think you identified it there's going to be a lot of help needed on that defensive side of the ball for years to come next one coming from david florent he says hello from the biggest broncos fan in san antonio i moved to denver from kenya when i was seven and immediately became a denver sports fan moved to san antonio in 2007 but stuck with the Broncos. I subscribed a couple of weeks ago and love having access to everything now. I've been I've been thinking about this. So we're, we're happy to have you, David. So happy to have you. He says, I've been thinking about this for a couple weeks now, and I want to see what you think. Do you think the Broncos as an organization overreacted to getting blown out by Seattle in the Super Bowl? Because I feel like Elway walked away from that game thinking the only way to have sustained success in NFL is with a dominant defense. Winning the Super Bowl with a great defense a couple years later probably confirmed that theory for him, and he seemed to basically ignore the offensive side of the ball for the next couple years. Sanchez, Simeon, Lynch, Keenum. In my opinion, Elway overreacted to a flunky blowout loss in which we were missing several key starters, Vaughn, Chris, Clady, etc. 
I feel that great offense is a more reliable way to have year-to-year success in the NFL because relying solely on a great defense results in basically no margin for error. I think that one was Elway's mistake in this team building's philosophy and one of the reasons the offense has been anemic for the past several years. Interesting take. Um, some people in football will tell you that defense is actually less subject to variance than offense is mm. when you're at a great level. Of course, that's kind of an old school thought. Look, nowadays I think the best way to have consistent outcomes is to be an elite quarterback. Yep, no question about it. And that's where the Broncos have really struggled. They've tried with Paxton Lynch. He was a bust. Case Keenum, just a guy. Joe Flacco, he's average. I've said it before, I'll say it again. The priority needs to be finding the quarterback that can go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. Yep. So it's got to be somebody who has electric potential in yep. him. That's what you're facing for the next 10 to 15 years with Mahomes in Kansas City. Is Joe Flacco that guy? Uh, don't see it. Is Drew Locke that guy? I have my doubts, but I think you need to start finding out, yep. which is why if you're sitting at 2-6 and six or 1-7, and seven, you need to pull the ripcord and you need to put Drew Locke in there. And if you find out that he doesn't have that sort of potential, you go back into the draft in 2020 and pick somebody else high, and you keep doing it until you find that guy, period. Boom. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, but was it a mistake? Well, if you want to trade a Super Bowl yeah. in for great offense – Maybe an offense, if you would have kept investing in the offense, would have delivered you a Super Bowl at some point. But I, th- I think it, I can't fault John for doing what he did because it got a Super Bowl. But now you're right. The only way to have sustained success is with a great quarterback, and that's why you do whatever you need to do from this year, playing Drew for eight games, to next year, if you need to trade multiple first-round picks in order to get your quarterback, then you do it. You do whatever you need to do in order to get your guy. Well, look at Green Bay. They have Aaron Rodgers. They have a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah, they were terrible last year. But you looked at them and said, okay, they get the right coach, make a few tweaks here, and they're the right back in the groove. It's a tough loss they had to Philadelphia in week four on Thursday night, but you know what? They're 3-1 and one after four games. They're pretty happy with where they are. They got a couple of division wins already in their back pocket, including one on the road. And when you have an elite quarterback, that's a sort of quick turnaround you can have when things go a little bit askew. Next one coming in from Sir James Radio. He says, with the reaction I got out of you guys yesterday, I'm afraid that hashtag Bustin for Justin may catch on. Please, no. Serious question. What's the feeling in the organization on Drew Locke? I know we may see him as such, but is there any really belief within the organization that he is the guy? Forget seeing what he can do. We've heard the usual talking points on him from Elway and co., plus the preseason rips by Vic. The Broncos are no stranger to doghousing players. Latimer Walker come to mind. And I was just wondering if he was taken solely because he because of need and falling rather than the actual love. We know John liked Darnold and has goo-goo eyes for Herbert. Is it all possible that Locke was a stopgap for Elway to calm the fans for a year and write it off as a development before he can get his true guy? After all, we've already seen it from him before with throwing Tebow into the fire only before it blowing up in his face when the mile-high Messiah did his thing. Well, John Elway never would have brought in Tim Tebow. No, never. That was, in 2011, about placating an angry fan base that had clearly turned on Kyle Lorton. The team was 1-4, was getting obliterated by the Chargers in the first half. Orton looked terrible. 
that was as ugly as I've seen a Broncos crowd heading into halftime, the way they were reacting to Kyle Orton. You simply could not put Kyle Orton back out there for the second half if you wanted to save his skin or anybody else's skin. So the Tebow thing kind of happened on a whim, on a lark. Let's see what, what we can do. But there was no belief that Tim Tebow could do anything. And to their credit, the coaches did a great job of giving Tim Tebow a game plan that he could run, and until it got exposed, it got the Broncos on a winning streak and made everyone feel good. But the difference, though, is Tim Tebow was not John Elway's pick. Drew Locke was. And I think with Drew Locke, the perception was, okay, we don't see him enough to pick him in the first round, but value-wise in the second round, if he happens to be there, let's take a flyer. Let's see if we can make a deal. Because, of course, they had to make a deal to get him. Remember, they picked Dalton Reisner first in the second round. So that tells you that if they had not been able to make the deal to get back to 42, which player would they rather, would they rather have? It was Dalton Reisner. Yep. So I think Drew Locke, they like him. They liked the value there with him. But a second-round quarterback, a second-round pick, that doesn't mean you're out of the mix to take one in future years unless that guy has shown that he is the franchise quarterback. Second round, the rate of success on it, it isn't good, but you do have to start buying some lottery tickets in order to figure this thing out long-term. They really like him and want a long-term relationship with him, but but they're not ready to marry him. Oh, they're... They're, they're dating. Right. And I wouldn't even say they're dating exclusively <laughs> when it comes to the young quarterback thing. From Manx Bronco, back after a couple of months hiatus. Miss you guys a bit too much. By the way, Manx, does that mean you're from the uh, Isle of Man? Mm. Got to ask about that. <laughs> Reality of the situation is we're not making the playoffs. Absolutely no chance. Not even .083%. <laughs> we're wasting Chris Harris Jr. and Emmanuel Sanders in the last years of their careers. Do them and ourselves a favor. Trade them and give them a chance to win. As painful as it is, Wolf could also fall into this. Also, can't wait to see Locke get the field. A lot of people seem to be constantly on us on about us taking Tua, Herbert, etc. Can't see this whatsoever. We invested a lot in Locke. We should be looking to invest in protecting him or at least bringing a Vic-type middle linebacker. So Manx Bronco sort of has the opposite perspective on the second-round quarterback investment as we do. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty funny. And here's, here is the thing, Manx, is that Mace, you pointed it out. They passed on him in the second round. They passed on him at 10. They passed on him at 20. So they passed on him three times, which shows you, yeah, second round is an investment, but a second round is not, a second round is a huge investment for a guard like they made with Reisner. And they better have got a heck of a player out of him, and it certainly looks like they did. But with the quarterback, that's nothing. No. It not really isn't. The original Mario chimes in and says, hey, guys, I was wondering why is our run defense so bad? In terms of future, how can the Broncos fix this issue? Drafting an inside linebacker or safety high in the draft? I love listening to the pod in times like this so I can be more excited for the future and look for silver linings in these awful games. Keep up the good work as always. It's starting from the inside out. Defensive line, you don't have uh, anyone generating much push. And uh, Shelby Harris seems kind of miscast as a nose tackle in this scheme, and that's hurting things from the inside out. Inside linebacker Josie Jewell and Dodd Davis, they're both capable, but what each of them need is, needs is somebody more athletic with better range and coverage ability, 
someone who can go sideline to sideline more next to them. And unfortunately, they're working together. And this is just part of what Vic Fangio has to do personnel-wise. He's got to find a more athletic inside linebacker, whether it comes in free agency or comes in the draft. We'll see. I, I kind of go back to the notion of saying, okay, and I'm back on the Ryan Fitzpatrick train again, but my general point is, are you a better team with Joe Flacco at $19 million or Quan Alexander at $11 million and Ryan Fitzpatrick at $5 million? Right. Quan Alexander would solve a lot of the problems for this team on defense, I think. Yep, he would. He so, would. Anyway, DP3107. Guys, the 2020 draft is loaded. And if the Broncos can get a second and third for CHJ, Chris Harris Jr., and Emmanuel, they should pull the trigger. They have to load up on picks in the next two drafts. Agree. Yeah, I think you're right there, and I think uh, the value – is, is right on point. I think uh, there might be a team that would give a late second-round pick for Chris Harris Jr. Yep. Number two, I thought I'd throw my two cents in on the conversation about Tua. I'm a lifelong Bama fan, and I've seen every game the kid has played in. He is the real deal. Of course, Bama has great receivers. But we had Judy, Ruggs, and Smith, along with Calvin Ridley, while Hurts was the starter, and they had not put up great numbers. Then Tua steps in, and these guys put up ridiculous numbers. I've seen Bama have average quarterback play with high-end wide receivers, Julio Jones and Amari Cooper, and this is just different. Everybody eats. Lastly, the season has been miserable as a Broncos fan in KC, so thanks for the quality content. Yeah, don't worry, DP3107. I'm I'm all in there for Tua as well. I'm all in there for – now, the Broncos aren't going to do it, so we haven't talked about you know tanking for Tua, but I think the Dolphins, they're, they're going to get a heck of a quarterback, and it really is crazy that Judy Ruggs and Smith could all be first-round picks from one team at the same position. I'll tell you what. There's one thing that could happen that would change my mind on Tua and put him back at the top of my quarterback draft class for 2020, and that is – how he does against LSU. I want to see how he handles that pass rush again. Last year, the one kind of game that would give me pause was the LSU game and how unsettled he was. And then Clemson was able to do some similar things, of course, with a defensive lineman that sent everybody, a defensive line that sent everybody to the NFL. If Tua looks better under the rush, displays better feel for the pass rush when teams crank it up on him, then... I'll probably be like, okay, he's my guy. And I, I'll sometimes that moment of clarity for me on a quarterback happens later on in his career. I remember in particular Matt Ryan, who's had a good career, league MVP. Can't argue that was a good pick, right? Right. Yep. Matt Ryan had a moment. It was actually late October, early November of his senior season, Thursday night football against Virginia Tech, where he – Keeps the play alive, throws across his body, receiver, finds the receiver, back corner of the end zone for a touchdown. Put Did such a good job to stay upright, feeling the pass rush from the Hokies that night back when Virginia Tech had a good football program, unlike right now. Um, and I saw that throw, and I thought, I saw everything I needed to see right there. He's going to be a legit NFL quarterback. That proved to be the case. If I see that with Tua, and it wouldn't surprise me if I do see that over the next few weeks, I'll come on here and say that, and I'll say, yeah, he's my number one guy. But I think part of it is I just can't see John Elway picking a left-handed quarterback right. who's about six foot six one. Yeah, I just I'd... can't see it. And so in my mind, I've kind of 
ruled out the notion of them taking Tua yep. because Elway wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the Broncos are going to have to worry about that. They're not going to be given that choice. Next one coming in from ATL Bronco, and it's a fun one. He says, Ryan, I completely agree with your opinion. Here's the question again to get Zach and Mace's take. Would you rather win the Super Bowl every 10 years but have the nine seasons in between look like 2016 to 2019, or would you win the Super Bowl every 20 years but have the other 19 look like 2011 to 2015? No question, 20 years. Absolutely, that is my exact answer. Because, And I think Ryan was the opposite. Well, if you view things as only being about the big trophy, the shiny ring, then you would choose the one every 10 years. Yep. But what about all the games along the way? Don't those matter Nine for, your happy, for your general happiness yeah. as far as being a fan, believing in the team? Look, Nine seasons like 2016 to 2019, you're talking about your best season being a four-year stretch being nine and seven, in all likelihood three losing seasons out of four in that stretch. That You're going to lose hope. That's miserable. Yeah, that's terrible. You that's don't want miserable. that. No, you don't. You want Tim Tebow with the entertainment and yeah, the well, excitement well, 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 that well, that well, brought. Well, 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 no, you don't want that. Uh, you, 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 want, you want some sizzle, yes, but you want... <laughs> Look, Aaron Rodgers in, in Green Bay. He's been the quarterback yeah. now for the better part of 12 seasons. Yep. One Super Bowl. But all the others are most of the – or I should say most of the others are pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. What about Peyton Manning before he won the second one? That Similar. Yes. Wait, that absolutely – give me the entertaining team. Yeah, not just the entertaining team, the team that gives you hope. Right. Exactly. The team that make that at least you go in every year feeling, okay, we got a shot. We can do this. Yep. We've got a good team because, look, I'm just viewing this from a media perspective. Covering a team that, that goes 11-25 and 25 over the course of two seasons and four games that goes 8-24 and 24 over 32 games, that is no fun. That's brutal. You start expecting the worst. I grew up with this in Tampa. You don't – trust me, you don't want this. Warmack 14, what are the rules for hiring scouts? Can Denver simply offer to pay a scout more than his current team and just steal said scout away? If so, throw the whole damn bag at the scouts down in Dallas and New Orleans. I know it's impossible, but it seems like these, seems like these teams can't miss. I know having a solid to great quarterback helps a ton, but my lord, Kamara, Michael Thomas, Lattimore, Ramchek, etc., Jalen Smith, Van Der Esch, Byron Jones, Michael Gallup, I hate Denver's lack of flexibility to adapt scheme to a player. Run a spread offense out of the shotgun and dink and dunk for a while as your players progress. Broncos Twitter is scary. I'm sad, but only 25 days till I get some strawberry sky. Well, here's the thing on the scouts. You can try to get them if you're giving them a promotion, and then you'd have to get permission from that team to allow the scout to interview for the job that is a promotion. So you couldn't simply just say, oh, let's go get Dallas's upper Midwest scout for the same position with the Broncos. That's Good. not happening. Good news is, Mace, the Broncos have a lot of positions that they could fill here. They they have they have tons of I shouldn't say tons of openings. They just don't have a lot of positions. So maybe they could do that to some top 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 scouts and make John Elway's circle a little bigger. Maybe that that wouldn't hurt. And the other thing to consider is this: scouts do their work in terms of getting the day three picks and the undrafted guys, day one and day two. A lot of that goes on more at the higher executive level and even with coaches getting involved. The Broncos have done fine, for the most part, on day three and with undrafted players. I don't think the Broncos scouts are the problem. Next one coming in from Virginia Beach Broncos says, It isn't that we're in a world of suck. 
It's that less than four years ago, the Broncos were world champions. That made me think, how unusual is it for a Super Bowl winning team to fall so far so fast? So I went into Rain Man mode tonight and hit the statistics. Here's what I found. I looked at all 49 teams that have won a Super Bowl since 1966, not counting the strike year. And in particular, I looked at how good or bad their four seasons were following their win. Denver is indeed in rare company and not in a good way. 32 of the 49 teams were able to win at least another division title at some point within their four years following their Super Bowl victory. Only two teams failed or to at least make the playoffs within the same time frame. The Broncos will most likely be joining the 1967 Green Bay Packers and the 2011 New York Giants in this category. Next, I took the win and loss percentage for the four years following each team's win and averaged those together and found that the vast majority of teams experiencing at least moderate success following a Super Bowl win win. Only seven teams in the history of the Super Bowl have failed to score over a 500 win percentage during the four years following a Super Bowl win. Even if Denver wins all of their remaining games, the Broncos will make this eight teams. Only two teams, the 1970 Baltimore Colts and the 1991 Washington Redskins, have failed to achieve greater than a 400 win percentage following a win in the Super Bowl. The Broncos would have to win at least half of their remaining games this season in order to not join this club this exclusive club. Of all the teams, the Broncos most resemble the 91 Redskins, at least in record. In the three years following their world championship, Washington went 9-7, and 4-12, and 3-13. And and Compared to Denver's 9-7, and 5-11, and 6-10, and and Washington's fourth year started 1-3 and, and ended, coincidentally, 6-10. Let's hope we manage better than the Skins, who 29 years later have yet to rebuild their program. Since 1992, Washington has been in the postseason only six times and has made it out of the wild card just twice with no division championships. My point is that we're just in uncharted, is that we're not just in uncharted territory as a clubhouse. We're in a place very, very few teams have ever been. Holy cow, holy cow. What a comment. What research done by Virginia Beach Broncos. Well, I had to uh, be the nitpicker here, but uh, <laughs> Washington did win two division titles in that span. They won one in 1999, and they won again in 2012, RG3's rookie year. Of course, they mm. had a home game. Actually, three, my bad, because they uh, they did have that home playoff game. I believe it was in 2015, if I recall correctly. With Kirk? Yes. Where they and lost. Jay Gruden, and they lost. Yep. So, yes, yeah, so that's three division titles. So, in that time. So, yeah, but none of those division titles were good. They never had a bye. Right. It's funny. About a year ago, I did a similar research thing to see where the Broncos were coming out of the Super Bowl, and I kept coming back to those 1991 Redskins, and it's significant because it, you had a veteran team that got late career outstanding seasons from a lot of players, and I think back to that 2015 Broncos team and it turned out really that was getting toward the end of a window I mean Demarius Thomas was good but not quite the same after that year Uh, Peyton Manning of course retired Uh, DeMarcus Ware had an injury in week two the following season he wasn't the same the rest of that stretch Evan Mathis was in the starting lineup in 2015 he retired Lou Vasquez was starter at guard that year he retired uh, you know, Ryan Clady, of course, had the ACL earlier that year. He never played again. Uh, Tyler Columbus filled in at tackle. He retired. Ryan Harris lasted a little bit longer. Now he's retired. 
So you had you go up and down the roster. You had a lot of guys that were kind of toward the end and dug deep and found something. And of course, on the defensive side, you had a lot of guys that uh, started moving on in free agency or otherwise in the years that followed. Now, the other thing with Washington is, of course, in 1998, 1999, they had an ownership change. Mm. And that made it worse. That exacerbated things. Mm. Which it's is why if the, you want here. if the Broncos do have an ownership change at some point, well, obviously, it's, there's going to be a new owner, whether it's a, a Bolin heir or somebody else. There's going to be somebody owning this team at some point. It will not last indefinitely with the Pat Mullen Trust. But you hope that they're the right owner because Washington, in the wake of Jack Kent Cooke's death in 1997, got the wrong owner. And actually, that was an interesting thing because until Jack Kent Cooke died, Zach, everyone thought, and he had said it specifically, he wanted to pass the team down to his son, John Kent Cooke, and he thought he was going to have a dynasty. But then at some point before he died, the will changed, and all of a sudden his estate went primarily to funding scholarships for underprivileged children. Don't laugh. It's actually been wow. a great scholarship program. Yeah, that's and I was, awesome. I was reading something about this a few weeks ago about, uh, about the Cook Scholars and uh, what they've gone on to do, and it's targeting you know, inner-city disadvantaged youth and giving them – college opportunities and it's tremendous that's awesome but selling the team meant that washington end up with daniel snyder as owner i think we can all agree daniel snyder is the worst owner in the national football league yep yeah also was a young owner a very young owner and that's the worst a young bad owner means you're stuck with that owner (laughs) potentially for what four or five (laughs) decades oh my goodness i empathize with washington fans i really do (laughs) and i can see why so many of them are bailing it's not just the on-field products everything else it's the organizational dysfunction it's firing people left and right trusting the wrong people if you get a chance i encourage you to google the cranky redskins fans guide to Daniel Snyder. <laughs> it is remarkable. And it actually, it was, it was on point, but Daniel Snyder threatened a lawsuit. It went nowhere. <laughs> but it's everything from having a year where they charged fans to come to training camp practice to selling peanuts from an, a non-existent airline at the what? concession stands. There was an airline based out of D.C. called Independence Air. It was flying out of National Airport for a while, and it went under. And two years after the dissolution of Independence Air, they were selling peanuts at FedEx Field with the Independence oh Air logo on them, gosh. which is well past the sell-by date oh for peanut gosh. products. Yeah. Everything that can be done wrong has been done wrong by the Washington Redskins. That's why I regard them as the cautionary tale, because back in the 1980s, the passion that existed in the Mid-Atlantic for that franchise was just like the passion in the Rocky Mountain region for the Denver Broncos. Mm. But you have to nurture it. You have to maintain it. You can't alienate that, because eventually it will fade. That's what's happened in Washington. If Denver doesn't get things right, it's what I fear could happen here. Oh, boy. And speaking of things that have gone wrong, next one coming in from Love Thunder Down Under. He says, hey, cool and true story. I saw a dude who looked like Paxton Lynch at dinner this evening. I told him that he looked like him. He was Italian. 
I told him to F off back to his family. Oh, thunder. What? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very loving thing to do. Oh, my gosh. Uh, go easy on It's not that guy's fault that he looks like the biggest quarterback bust in Broncos history. Oh, man. Maybe it was Brandon Allen. Oh, I don't see the resemblance the way everyone else seems you to. You don't? No. He looks just like him. Look at you. You, you got to look at him. Well, I, actually, I think you can look at him with his hat on. But when he takes his hat off, I, I did. I've seen the locker room. I don't see it. I'm sorry, Dan Burke. It's a small sample size, but something that I think is being looked over with Fangio is the fact that the team is currently the fourth least penalized team in the league, one of the least penalized teams on pre-snap, and one of the least penalized teams on the road. Compare this to last year where they end up as the 31st most penalized team and showed an overall lack of discipline. You can see that Vic is having an impact on the culture of the team. And, hey, between us, imagine what he could do in terms of the penalty numbers if Garrett Bowles wasn't at left tackle, (laughs) although he's been clean the last couple of games in penalties. It's not going to happen overnight, but fans need to exercise some patience. Moving on from some of the vets who still have memories of the Super Bowl or who aren't willing to allow the younger guys to establish leadership roles. (laughs) Shelby Harris is in the best interest for the team. That was not a bad cough, was it? (laughs) I've seen a lot of fire Vic over the past few days, which is crazy, but that's a point for another day, LOL, but he's already making an impact. As far as the defense goes, they're currently ranked fifth in pass defense despite very inconsistent play from everyone not named Chris Harris and with starters being out at various points. Replacing Chris isn't going to be easy, although a healthy Bryce would be an option but they're actually playing pretty well against the pass, and the run defense is typically the easiest thing for a team to shore up and turn around in the space of a year. Current example is the Bucks, from the 24th run defense to the number one run defense in the space of a year. They've shown interest in Danny Shelton before, and he's a free agent next year. Assuming the Patriots don't retain him, would be a great option as a true nose tackle. Love that optimism coming in from Dan Burke. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to take a little bit of time for Vic to get all of his pieces in, but it's not as bad as it seems. Although John Elway yesterday was the one to point out that the offense is trending in the right direction. He likes that, but the defense needs to play better. His words, calling him out. Next one coming in from Bronco Ute 44. It says, hey guys, been a while. This might be a long comment. One, welcome Mace. I always enjoy the coverage on the Broncos website. Two, the rebrand is awesome. Three for Mr. B. Four, Jeremy, how do you say it again? Jerry or Jeremiah. I asked him what he preferred. He said Jerry is fine. Jerry at Atu? Atashu. 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 Looks, looks like a Leonard Floyd, Floyd type, possibly a player to keep around after this year. Very interesting that uh, both Philip Rivers and um, Anthony Lynn, who worked with him with the Chargers, plays, praised his pass rushing ability. Also said they had trouble staying healthy, but they liked what he brought, so intriguing. Five, I think there needs to be a short-term IR and have more options to take players off IR, especially if they move to a longer season and expand the rosters. I agree, but the way the NFL considers it right now, they consider the inactive list to basically be short-term IR. Right. Six, I like how there's been some churning of the bottom of the roster to bring in other players and exploring options. I agree. I feel like we talked about that in the offseason, that uh, a team that has these issues— on the back end of the roster, she just churn, churn, churn until they find the right guys. Exactly. Sevens for Elway. Eight, although I don't drink alcohol, this 0-4 start, has it has it made me cross my mind? Ha ha. Thanks again for the coverage. You're going to drink some alcohol, go for Breck Brew, try some <laughs> Strawberry Sky or Colorado <laughs> Core. Typical Trev, in the wake of the recent Kirk Cousins drama in Minnesota, I asked one of my friends who's a serious Vikings fan, my sympathies, 
Knowing what you know now, would you rather have signed Cousins to the contract you did, or would you have rather kept Case Keenum for the same deal Denver gave him? He responded immediately with Case Keenum. <laughs> His reasoning was mainly around how they could have spent the difference in salary on a better offensive line. So now I'll ask the same question from a Broncos' point of view. Who would you have rather sign last offseason, Keenum or Cousins? Pick your poison. If you're going off of just a player, Kirk Cousins. If you're going off the contract and what it brings and what it means, maybe Case Keenum. <laughs> I, was, I would have been fine with Case Keenum had they drafted a quarterback high last year. Yep. And Trade up for Sam Darnold, whatever it took. Case Keenum as the only solution was not viable. Nope. I thought Case Keenum's season was kind of flukish. There were some drop picks that year in Minnesota, and you can even look at the big play against New Orleans, and that was a catastrophic blown coverage uh, in that playoff game that they won at U.S. Bank Stadium. That wasn't anything that Case Keenum really did right there. Um, and then I thought Keenum got exposed seriously in the NFC Championship game. That being said, <laughs> that contract drew that uh, Kirk Cousins has, man alive, yep. that's not good. <laughs> it's awful. I guess I'd say Keenum. <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. Next uh, one coming in from Mile High Hitman. He says, welcome to Locktober. Inspired by the great poets of these group, of this group, decided this season sounds better when in rhyme. So here we go. The boot, the booze and breck brews are flowing as Sundays are watched with fright. Orange pumpkins are carved as they were yadam. While fans just desire... Whilst. Whilst. It's, a, it's an English, British word. Whilst, whilst fans just desire big lock and a vic in the box. But don't despair, my DNVR fam. For after Halloween night, the future is bright. On the 3rd of November, the man will suit up. You hope. And the reign of a supervillain will commence with a fight. The re rebuilding Broncos will finally set this sinking ship right. Happy Locktober. <laughs> you know, if Drew Locke does get in there, what if he's not all that in a bag of chips? <laughs> well, then we're uh, busting for Justin. <laughs> I should Take say John, not we. Bombing for Fromm? <laughs> Tanking for Tua? Uh, I love it. Anyway, Bumpy Buffalo. Hey, guys, two quick things here. Number one, you should really offer your designs in onesies and youth sizes. My four-month-old and five-year-old both listen to the pod with me, and I think they deserve some swag as well. Hey. Oh, and Zach, my littlest one, always smiles when your angelic laugh comes over the speakers. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to let it breathe. <laughs> Guys, please push for the kids' sizes. Number two, play Brandon Allen. Oh, boy. I agree with you on one of them, and that's number one. <laughs> and we do. We just dropped our first shirt with kid sizes, I don't think we have toddler sizes yet, but the uh, the run fill run shirt is is available in a kid size. Maybe your five year old could fit in it. Yeah, I think I, I think I might get one of those for my seven year old. Yep, yeah, I love it. I love it. And is this the final one coming in from Ooh Benny Lava? Ooh. Says <laughs> says Hey boys, I wanted to touch on the ge generational gap issue on this team and especially the offense. I was rewatching the game and after Fant's touchdown, he was understandably hyped. After he dismounted the railing and turned to celebrate with the boys, he was greeted by Lindsay and Reisner, equally hyped to congratulate him. Meanwhile, vets like Flacco and Leary are kind of just sauntering around, maybe high-fiving, and lackadaisically make their way back to the bench. Mind this, this is Fant's first NFL touchdown. 
How are you not jumping up and down with the kid if you're the vets? That lack of excitement is absurd and a huge problem. Reisner and Lindsay should be captains of this team this year. They have earned it. Also, we need to get bigger on the defense, period. What if we... What if we started Wolf, Purcell, and Harris on the line? Would that help at least in the short term? Then Gotsis, Jones, and Walker could be in for pass downs. Love you, boys. Thanks. That's interesting, the lack of enthusiasm. Hmm. There's definitely something to that. Look, what's going to get the Broncos out of the morass in which they sit is the youth. Enthusiasm. It's time to be new. Get the guys in there that want to play, that, that want to bring the fire, that want to pump up the fan base during a 4-10 four and, four and start. Well, it's like I was on KOA last Thursday night, and I said this may be kind of a hot take, but is it possible that someone like Gardner Minshew is more the right quarterback for this Broncos team than Joe Flacco? Because they need someone that's younger with a little verve, a little pop, a little swag, yep. dare I say it. Yep. And look, look what happened. His teammates rallied around him. Yeah. And it's, it's not that his, the Joe Flacco's teammates didn't rally around Joe because the defense let him down, but still, when you have that, it's, Gardner's Minshew's teammates and coaches have already bought into him. It's pretty incredible. This team needs a jolt. How about Drew Locke? He'll, he'll be that jolt. Will he be a good jolt, or will he just zap him right into, uh, right into tanking for two? We'll fight. We better find out. Yes. We, we better find Unless out. this team goes on a four-game winning streak, I want to start finding out first of November. And speaking of jolts, before we run out of here, let me tell you about Piper Electric. Well, make sure the jolts don't happen. He's in, in, If you're in need of a top dog electron, make sure you check out Piper Electric, who's been doing it for over 35 years. They have fair prices. They're dependable, trustworthy electrical contract company in Denver. If you call them, their number's 303-646-6765. They will give you the DNVR back to school hookup and save you 20% off your next service call. No job is too big or too small for Piper Electric. They will work with the top professionalism and integrity in the business, whether it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. So don't forget to give them a call. That's 303 646 6765 to receive 20% off your next service call. Mace, it was a blast as always. We will be back with you guys tomorrow thank you guys for all the great participation today we love riding with you have a wonderful wednesday see ya Yeah.